Well, let's turn back to Proverbs and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this evening that you know each one of us and you uh, know what we need to hear from you this evening. We pray that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say for us, uh, say to us, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, his hair was gone and his joints were sore and he had seen it all before. He had lines on his face and a twinkle in his eye. He had known sadness. He had known joy. He had known me since I was a boy. And he is exactly the kind of man that I want to be when I grow up. And as I sat in his living room a few years ago, I had the first of several amazingly helpful conversations with this man this evening. I wish I could just bring him up and let him preach to you. And they had a profound impact on me. Why was that? What was the quality this man had? What made him so different? Well, in a word, it was wisdom. He was wise. Wise. Tonight we're going to begin a series in Proverbs, and wisdom is what Proverbs is all about. And I want us this evening just to dive right into this book. I'm going to give you my two headings in advance uh, to help you. Um, as we begin looking at this book, I want to introduce it, and I want us to see why we need it and how we read it. Why we need it and how we read it. Firstly, why we need it. Um, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I think we need this book because you and I, we often neglect the Bible's wisdom literature. This is partly because it's difficult, and it's also because of the particular church tradition that you and I belong to. As um, evangelicals, as Reformed Christians, we uh, value truth very highly. We, we're right to do that. We like things to be kind of clear and rational and, uh, and ordered and, and in three points. We're big on, on loving God with our minds. And so we tend to love uh, Paul's letters. There's a, there's a logic, there's an argument to those letters. We love Romans. Um, a letter like Romans has had a massive impact on churches like ours. And yet the Bible is incredibly diverse. There is variety. Um, in the Bible, we have letters, we have stories, we have pro prophecy, we have poetry, we have case law. It is diverse. And we also have wisdom literature, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. And I think one of the reasons uh, we often neglect this uh, genre in Scripture is that it isn't always black and white. And let me give you an, uh, one example. You can uh, listen or, or look up uh, Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 4. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 4. Um, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him himself. And listen to the very next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. 
When you meet someone who is foolish, Proverbs is telling us there is a time to speak and there is a time to be silent. Sometimes in the presence of a fool, we should just keep our mouth shut, Proverbs is saying. Let that person speak. Let them just show everyone their own folly. Sometimes, sometimes you and I, we need to respond. What is it? Well, Proverbs would say that is a judgment call. That takes thought, that takes prayer, that maybe takes discussion with someone else. It's both and, it's complex. There are gray areas, just as there are gray areas in life. I'm pushing 40, and I am realizing that I cannot eat what I ate when I was 20. And when I was a student, I'm sure lots of the students are like this, the guys especially, and we were playing loads of sport. Uh, the only food group my flatmates and I knew was carbohydrates. Uh, so we had, what do we have, cereal for breakfast with toast, toasties for lunch, an Italian double pizza and pasta for dinner. And uh, Pete from Northern Ireland, he would try and keep, us, keep our mothers happy by occasionally throwing in some peas. Uh, but you and I, we, we need a balanced diet. We need the whole of Scripture. And all Scripture is God-breathed. But I think there's a second reason that you and I, we, we need books like Proverbs, wisdom, literature. We need it because of the moment we are in. Uh, you and I, we live in a culture that really lacks wisdom. And years ago, someone uh, once asked these questions, where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? What was true then is even more true today, isn't it? We, we have information gluttony. We have information overload. And yet we lack wisdom. It's water, water everywhere, isn't it? But none for us to drink. We don't know how to live. There's so much uh, certainty in our culture, isn't there? There's so much confusion at the same time. Uh, one of the really important things we need to know about wisdom, and we'll see this, is that it's not just about intelligence. And some of us will know people who um, have hit kind of the academic heights in life, and yet they just seem to live really, really poorly. And about 20 years ago, uh, the Prime Minister, Tony Blair, he set out a vision, half of Britain's school leavers should go to university. And that target was reached recently. We are probably more educated than ever. And every year at exam time, the, the grades seem to go up, don't they? And we've got all kinds of knowledge at our fingertips. But we don't know what human beings are for. And we don't know what men and women are. And yet, look with me at chapter 1 and verse 20. Wisdom. God is speaking day by day to a world that's living foolishly. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. So you and I, I think we need this book, or we need a book like this from time to time because we neglect it, because of our time and place. But I think there's two more uh, positive reasons that we need this book as well. 
Uh, one of the things I mentioned last week is that you and I were called to honor God in all that we do. Theologians, they sometimes refer to this as the lordship of Christ over the whole of life. And I think Proverbs is a book that helps us with that. It's hard to think of something that this book, Proverbs, doesn't talk about, doesn't address. So Proverbs will talk about life and death, words, money, sex, justice, anger, envy, friendships, guidance, and loads and loads of other things. We're going to think about some of those issues in this series. And so Proverbs is a really earthy book. It's a holistic book. It's a book that touches on everything. And here's the second positive reason. It doesn't just touch on those things. It doesn't just talk about them. It actually shows you and I how to live in different situations. Uh, For centuries, philosophers, thinkers, they've tried to answer uh, this kind of big question. What is the good life? What is the good life? And Proverbs actually shows us that and actually helps us to live that life. It's really common um, to hear people say of Proverbs, uh, it's practical. And uh, maybe you're breathing a a bit of a sigh of relief tonight as we start this series. Maybe uh, it's kind of at last, after Andy and Will going on and on and on about theology, we're finally going to get something to do, something practical. But there is actually a huge amount of theology in this book. We're going to see that. And practical is not quite the right word. I think a better word to sum up what Proverbs is all about is skillful. And Proverbs is going to help us navigate life. The book of Proverbs is going to help us to see what's the right thing to do in this situation, in that situation. Sometimes it will be different. Um, Bruce Waltke um, is a man whose uh, name you're going to hear a lot uh, in this series. And he says, this is how he puts it, he says that Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, it helps us bring all of life's activities into harmony with God's created order. Proverbs helps us bring all of life's activities into harmony with God's created order. And he points out, um, as I read this week, that in the Old Testament, wisdom is seen in lots of different spheres. So in Exodus chapter 28, we see artistic skill described as wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 5, we see diplomacy described as wisdom. We see judgments in 1 Kings chapter 3, described as wisdom. Now turn with me to uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, uh, if you wish, chapter, 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29, for just a little glimpse of this. I couldn't uh, decide whether to include this reading in the order of service. I'm going to skillfully sneak it in now. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. 1 Kings chapter 4, And verse 29. Listen to this. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like 
the sand and the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. Look at verse 33. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. It's fascinating, isn't it? Can you, can you hear the range of Solomon's wisdom? And God, it says, gave him insight and ability into all kinds of different things. And so this means the knowledge that Solomon was given, it wasn't just about the kind of things you and I think of as spiritual. And it wasn't just that Solomon was kind of horticulturally minded. No, God gave him that wisdom. And God has insight to give to you and I as well. He's given each of us this evening, um, here we are, sat here, big group of people, lots of different um, personalities and different interests. God has given each of us different skills, different interests, different insights. And I think a book like Proverbs, it will help us grow into those things. It will teach us what wisdom looks like. It will help us to navigate life. If you turn back to Proverbs chapter 1, you'll see all the different ways that this life is described. In the words of our passage, it'll help us to know wisdom, to, to receive instruction. It will give us prudence and knowledge and discretion. It will help us understand. So that's the first thing we see tonight, why we need this book, why we need it. But there's a second thing we see uh, this evening I want to, to share with you. Not just why we need it, but how we read it. How we read it. And now knowing the structure of a, a book of the Bible, it's really helpful. And in one sense, the book of Proverbs, it, it kind of breaks into two parts. Chapters 1 to 9 are, are less a collection of Proverbs. They're more a series of speeches from a, from a father to a son. It's a really relational book. We'll think a lot about that next week. And then chapters 10 to the end, they, they feel different. They're a collection of, of Proverbs, pithy sayings. Sometimes those sayings are connected. Sometimes the author kind of seems to jump around. And so what I'm going to do, rather than preaching, I don't know, 31 sermons on the book of Proverbs, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to preach a few sermons on chapters 1 to 9, and then a few sermons on the rest. Um, I know that uh, the first few chapters of this book, they were preached here not that long ago. I also know that Andy Robertson is about to start a series in this book, so you can listen in to Andy as well. And I also know that one of the, the fellowship groups uh, looked at Proverbs, so if you guys have any insights, feel free to, to share them with me. Come and talk to me about this book. But how do we read this book? I think the first thing we need to remember is we need to read this book Christologically. Christologically. We need to read this book with Jesus in view. And that's true of the whole of the Old Testament. It all points forward to him. It shows us him. 
One of the dangers of a book like this is that we just think it's practical. We kind of forget about our faith in Jesus, our relationship with him. Just give us things to do. But what does Paul say? Jesus is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the true wise man. He is the true sage. Jesus is the one who is greater than Solomon. He is the power, the wisdom of God. We, we don't follow the teaching of Proverbs to make ourselves right with God. We ask Jesus to speak to us through this wonderful book. I think we also need to read this book really carefully. That's the second point. Proverbs are not promises. They're not prophecy. They're, they're reflections based on the way things tend to go. Let me give you uh, one example. Turn to chapter 6. Chapter 6. Um, in chapter 6, Solomon, he, he gives advice to his son, and he basically says to him, don't be a sluggard. Don't be a sluggard. It's great advice. No, be like an ant. Look at verse 7. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. And so maybe you can hear what he's saying. He's saying, son, if you want to avoid disaster in life, then you need to work hard. Don't be lazy. Think about the future. Delayed gratification is your friend. That is how life tends to go, isn't it? Uh, those who work hard, they get ahead. But that is not always how life turns out, is it? Sometimes a slacker lands on his feet. Sometimes they come into money unexpectedly. Sometimes a person is lazy and things seem to go well for them. So Proverbs, they're not guarantees, they're not absolute promises, they're not prophecy. They are generally true. This is how life tends to go, say the authors of this book. Uh, these are people who've observed life in God's world. These are experienced people. They want us to listen and, and learn from them. These are people who say the world, it tends to work a certain way. It's not always that way, but it is most of the time. Someone has put it this way. If you go against the grain of the universe, you'll get splinters. In other words, if you, if you go against God's natural ways, natural patterns, things will tend to not work out for you. That's one of the things that, that Proverbs teaches us. We need to read this book carefully. Third is similar. We need to read it thoughtfully. So you look at chapter 1 and look at verse 6. Solomon says one of the reasons he's written this book is to help us understand a proverb, a saying, the words of the wise, and their riddles. Their riddles. Now, let's think about that last example. Uh, riddles are thought-provoking, aren't they? They're, they're enigmatic. And the meaning isn't always obvious in a riddle. We need to chew over it. Here's an example. This is not in the book of Proverbs. How many gold coins 
Can a leprechaun fit in an empty pot? Anybody want to shout out? Uh, we could be here all evening. Let me give you the answer. The answer is none. How many gold coins can a leprechaun fit in an empty pot? None. If he puts some in, it won't be empty. Okay. Riddles take thought. Riddles take time. We don't always want that, do we? We, we want instant answers. We want quick fixes. We want to just be told the truth. And the danger with this book is that we approach it thinking, I already know what God is going to tell me about money. Or I already know what God is going to tell me about guidance or sex or justice. And I'll just switch off from that. But Proverbs, I think Proverbs are a bit like one-sentence parables. When Jesus used parables, he used them for a reason, didn't he? They weren't just um, stories designed to help people understand. No, as he says in Mark 4, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they might be ever seeing but never perceiving. So when Jesus spoke in parables, some people heard what he said and they started to believe in him. Other people listened and thought, what is that guy talking about seed and a farmer? The parables, they, they, they sifted people. And I think Proverbs is like that. This is a book that will, look what it says, it will bring prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, verse 4. But look at verse 5. I think this is really surprising. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. Let them increase in learning. So Solomon doesn't say, let the foolish hear in verse 5, does he? He's saying, if you read this book and you're becoming wise, it is going to make you wiser. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Whoever has will be given more. So we need to read this book Christologically. We need to read it carefully. We need to read it thoughtfully. But here's the final thing. We need to read it humbly. We need to read it humbly. So look at verse 7. I think uh, verse 7 is, we could call it wisdom's posture. If verses 1 to 7 are like the front door to the book of Proverbs, verse 7, I think, is the key that unlocks this, this whole book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If someone's called this the, the kind of motto of the whole of the book of Proverbs. And what you and I, we need to understand is that word beginning and that word fear, first beginning. Solomon is not saying we begin with the fear of the Lord, and then we kind of move on to another way of living with God. It's not a chronological thing. The fear of the Lord, it's not a starting point that, that we kind of move on from. No, it's, it's a foundational thing. Listen to uh, our friend, Mr. Waltke, again. He says, what the alphabet is to reading, what notes are to music, what numerals are to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to gaining this book's wisdom and instruction. 
And so can you hear what he's saying this evening, Solomon, to us? If you want to, or Waltke, rather, if you want to read or write or understand a text, then no matter your age, you need the alphabet. You never transcend the alphabet, do you, as a writer or a reader? If you want to play music or do maths, it's exactly the same. Notes and numbers are required, always. It's the same with the fear of the Lord. There is no path to wisdom without this. Now, that is not how our world thinks, is it? And the idea that you would fear the Lord, it's, it's just kind of dismissed, isn't it? But I think Proverbs Solomon's going to teach us that you cannot live in God's world and be a truly wise person unless you relate rightly to the God who's made this world, you, unless you fear him, unless you acknowledge your place. We were in Durham on holiday recently, and um, my love of cathedrals was indulged by Marianne and Jonathan. Michael slept through uh, the trip to Durham Cathedral. And when you step into Durham Cathedral, you feel small. You feel small almost instantly. That is, that is what a building like that does to us, isn't it? That is really good for us. And so the wise person does not think that they are the most important person in whatever room they walk into. The way of wisdom in God's world is to see ourselves from God's perspective. He is the great one. We are the small ones. And if Proverbs helps us navigate life, then I think verse 7, it's like north on the compass. Like north on the compass. It's the fool, isn't it, in the Bible who says, in his heart there is no God. So we need to remember what this word beginning means. And we need to remember what fear means. What does fear mean? I think we're really quick. uh, Often we hear that word fear and we immediately want to rush to, to qualify it, don't we? And we, we often talk about what it doesn't mean rather than what it does mean. But listen to one place that, that same word is used elsewhere, which I think really helps us. Listen to Psalm 5. Listen to these words. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow towards your holy temple in the fear of you. See, fear, it's, it's a worship word. And fear, it doesn't mean that we are to dread God. But we are called to bow before God. And the fear of the Lord, it means getting low before God. It means honoring Him. And it means that we recognize that when it comes to God, you and I, we are dealing with a being of a completely different order to us. Susan learned this lesson, didn't she? The line, the witch in the wardrobe, the children, they, they enter Narnia, they meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, loyal servants of Aslan, you know what's coming.
they, they mention these servants of Aslan. They mention him. It, it kind of sparks the children's curiosity. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And so you and I, we're about to read this book, but it is going to read us. It is going to read us. It is going to search us out. And as you and I, as we contrast our lives with the life of wisdom we see here, there's going to be gaps. There's going to be areas that you and I, we need to grow. It might be very painful at times, but we can trust the true son of David. We can trust the Lord Jesus Christ because what do we know? When we fear him, friends, when we fear him, then you and I, we have nothing, nothing else to fear. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we begin this journey into this book, we pray that you would give us a heart of wisdom. We pray that you would give us the right posture before you, uh, that you would keep us humble and that you'd help us to worship you. We pray that we would enjoy reading this book. We pray that we would learn from it, learn from you as we do so. And we pause at the end of this day just to thank you for your great love for us, for your faithfulness. Thank you for Jesus, the one greater than Solomon, one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We bow before him this evening. And we pray all this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Well, we're going to close our service this evening singing a, a, a hymn that speaks of God's great wisdom, immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Let's stand and worship God together.